we are also thinking hardcore beatbox intro. <laughs> I, I know you can That's do it. I know you can do it. I've heard you do it before. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's not a good beat by Boxing Beat. Shifties on the mic. Sure. <laughs> Welcome to Shifties, the only podcast in the entire world. Just kidding. We discovered there were several other service industry podcasts. Probably a good Google before you're starting a podcast. See if other people are doing the exact same one. But you know what they aren't doing is doing it as good as we are. In this room right in now. In this room right now. <laughs> My name's Cold Cut. With me... I'm Howie. No. Uh, all right. I'll, should I stop doing that? Maybe. Like I don't know. Uh, I think okay. we think it's funny, but no one else thinks it's I think, that funny. I think it's funny, and no one else here thinks it's funny. I also think that. Okay. <laughs> Fine. I'm Joey. I'm, Wa- I'm Wallace. <laughs> I want to say that it was funny the first time that we all did it, and then we all just like picked a different name. Just okay. yes and it, Wallace. Just yes and. Yes and? Yes, and I am... Yes, and I'm Wallace. Wallace. Who's Wallace now? <laughs> We're all Wallace. Uh, and with us today is Howie. Or Howard Rawlings, as he's formerly known. Formally known? Formally. Perhaps both, depending on life situations. That's true. So Howie and I were together at My Fine Dining Restaurant, as it's formerly known. And Howie That is... would actually be informally known. No, formally known. That's the official title. Yeah, I guess so. Mm-hmm. But then when you say formally, would it be like the past? It's formerly. Oh, so it's before. Formerly, formerly. Yeah, right? That's the... I'm not, I'm not gonna talk. I'm not gonna talk this whole podcast. I'm done. 86 me. <laughs> Currently, Howie is Howie's a fucking savant of food. Like straight up, I'll just be like, Howie, dude, I kinda want this, this is what I'm feeling tonight. He whip me up something and he will whip me up something, and it's the best fucking thing I've ever had of whatever category that thing is. He's just a whiz kid, straight up. And I say kid in, in very relevant terms. He is in I mean, fact a child. Yeah, <laughs> four years old. I can't believe you're on this podcast. Why are you drinking whiskey? But no, tr- truly, um, passion for food, studied under many an expert chef, and clearly has taken those lessons and applied them into his own craft and crafted things that are unique, different, and uh, has a perspective on food and food service that I've never encountered before, even from much older souls. And so, Howie, with that said, I want to get into, get into how you got into this. Tell us a little bit about yourself, man. So, I think probably the first memory I have of cooking was, uh, I would, it's it's pretty childish, I think, but it really does form how I became the way I am. Um, when I come home from school, uh, my mom would uh, say how my day was and whether it would be horrible or not she would still say let's make grandma's chicken and grandma's chicken was literally just chicken breast salt it and you take club crackers and bang the crap out of them and that's what i would do i'd come home pissed off or something and we'd put them in a couple ziploc bags and i'd just take them on the floor and just fucking bang the shit out of them like five six year old me just fucking destroying these crackers and we would just soak them in butter and then put on the chicken throw in the oven and those were the first memories of it and then my dad also was a very like, he learned his cooking from his mother, and he would make this food that was just really good. And as I was growing up, I didn't realize how great the food was until the point of where uh, one of the things my mother said hilariously was, the two things that kept me from divorcing your father was the sex and the cooking. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I took that to heart, and I was like, oh, way to go, Dad. Um, <laughs> Those are very important categories. They are, yeah. So after, you know, I, I started off, you know, I was in a grocery store working, and then I did, like, Seaport Steel, uh, and then I did some sailing in Alaska, and when I came back, I just didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, and 
So I started busing at Serafina's. And as I was busing there, I got a phone call one day that said, um, it was funny because it was through the manager of Serafina's. It started It started off with this guy named Aaron Tocolvi, who is the head chef and owner of a pop-up restaurant called Sorel. And he was one of the sous chefs at Lark at the time. And he called the manager of Serafina's that knew my mom's ex-boyfriend from uh, high school. And he called me. And said, hey, they need a dishwasher. Like, it's Friday, Saturday night. This guy didn't show up. They need you the beer. So I was like, fuck it. I got nothing else to do. Why not try it out? So, and this was when Lark was small before the big expansion when it became Lark, Slab. And so I stodged there Friday, Saturday night. Well, it wasn't really a stodge. They did pay me for it, which was nice. It was like 100 bucks for just like maybe six hours of work both nights. I was like, fuck yeah, that's awesome. And then, so I started dishwashing there. And then when we got the new big lark, I became a prep cook there. And that's just how it all really started. And I realized, like, this is what I want to do. I love doing this. And then from there, I moved to Solare with Eduardo Jordan, who is an incredible, I want to call him Seattle gem chef. Like, he opened three restaurants in a little over two years. Uh, June Baby had been in the running once for um, James Beard Award. Got it the second time. Uh, Solare. Quick interruption. What is a James Beard Award? James Beard Award is, so the best, I don't know the true definition of it, I don't, but I want to say it means that, like, obviously you could have Best Chef Award in the city, you could have, um, you know, Mission Star Award, you could have a uh, five-star reward from whatever, you know, person that wants to give it out, it could be Zagat or Yelp or some sign, or it could be, like, an actual group of people. But I believe, like, there's a whole event for it. It's like the Oscars of food. Let's put it that way. Got there's it. a whole, like, banquet hall. There's a bunch of people that are uh, nominees for it. Like, just imagine it to be the Oscars of food. But and all he, the good chefs are there, so there's only bad chefs left to cook for them. So the food's just really bad at it. <laughs> I, don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if you put it that way. Um, and I'm obviously butchering the name of James Beard Award, and I do apologize for anyone listening. <laughs> but it just, it's, it's a top-notch award. That's the best way I can explain okay. that. Good explanation. Yeah, it's I've um, as much as I love food, I do definitely need to delve into more research about just like names and topics for sure. I'll say that. Eddie, who's starting off there, um, I actually went down to um, a dishwasher slash prep cook after being a prep cook at Lark at Solari because Aaron, who I knew at Lark, took me there. He was like, "Hey, dude, this guy really knows what he's doing." This is before anyone really knew who Eduardo Jordan was, and I was like, "All right, fine, that sounds great," and just worked my way up there, and that was probably the hardest kitchen I've ever worked in but the molding like I have to thank him so much because he molded me as a cook and made me realize what is right what is wrong and just if it's not right why put it in the window take the extra 30 seconds take your time to plate that stuff no matter how much they're yelling at you no matter how much like let's go let's go because you know if you put something shitty in the window and you know in your eyes and in your heart when you're passing that plate forward or you're running it up you know what's right and wrong at a certain point like you just know what's right and wrong and you need to take that time to do that. And he is someone that really showed me that. So after Solar, I worked for uh, Ethan Stoll at Tavolata. And I think the the um, the thing that really pushed me there was um, having my station, the best way I could describe it was the size of the, like probably if you cut off the oven and half a saute at the restaurant we work at, that was the size of the cold line. And it was all the desserts, all the salads, and some main entrees. For context to listeners, that's pretty small. <laughs> Are you sure about that? <laughs> a cold line that big for yourself. So quantify that with like uh, like your oven at home. How would you compare it to like an oven at home? Like oh, a stove I, top I, at I home. thought you were referring to the entire line. Oh, no. Oh, just, just mine. Just cold line. Just mine. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> I take it back to the listeners. That is pretty not small. <laughs> yeah, so... 
that um, fucking pushed me to be like, and I had to expo for myself too. So the tickets would be coming in. I had to do my own reel. I had to tell servers where to go while doing all the cooking, but it's like, there's no flame. So you're all right. It's all hands on there. Nothing's going to burn. There was a panini press there that I had to do bruschettas though. So those could go, but like you keep the temp right. And it's like, you don't burn them. You just, you just don't fucking burn them. If you do, you suck. I'm sorry. <laughs> but like, <laughs> it's just simple. That actually reminds me, I did cut a good chunk of my finger off on the meat slice of there once. And the chef was just yelling at me, being like, are we going to fucking go? What's going on? This and that. And it was a good piece of my finger that was just fucking off. And just the tip of your finger hurts the most, too, because that's where the sensors are. So I just was trying to wrap it. It would not stop bleeding. He's just fucking yelling at me across the restaurant. So I run over to the panini press and just press it down on it to sear it off. Oh, and no. wrap it up and then desanitize de- the fucking <sighs> panini press. And... Kept going. Wait, 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 wait. So you, you <laughs> go over to this live-action panini press. You didn't clean the panini press first. I understand it's hot, but, like, it's got food particles on it, probably. I didn't like, care about the sanitation yeah. of my board more than the sanitation of the food afterwards. And it would have taken twice the amount of time to sanitize it twice when it's like, I can just treat my cut later. That's some dedication. What hurts more? Cutting your finger off? Or cauterizing it in a penny press. The cut just happens. When it happens, it happens. You're like, oh, fuck, this just happened. You're already in the shock of like, okay, this is happening. And as it's happening, though, like, it's so much blood that you do feel woozy immediately. And you have to just like, so the rest of the night, I was on my toes kind of jumping up and down. And just like keeping blood going. Because like, it was quite a bit. I'm not saying it was like a fucking pint that was gone. But a lot spilled. Like a good, probably like eight ounces or so. Of trying to like wrap it up with duct tape and this and that, I was just being yelled at so much that I was like, "All right, I just need to just fucking get it over with." Wow. Um, that's probably not the worst one. The worst one was when I was at. Um, I know I'm getting off track. The worst one was probably at Lark when this is a way better track. Um, <laughs> uh, when I was at Lark and there was a small saute pan. Oh, no, it was a little saucepan, little saucepan that was on the grill and it was been on the grill on high for about three hours and I'm cleaning the line and, you know, I'm grabbing stuff from the pans and everything. And, uh, I grab without a towel, the pot and I lift it up for a bit, move it. And I don't notice it's burning me and I fucking drop it. And I'm like, Oh, and my hand just goes straight white. It just went to the third degree bird, straight up, just whole thing, just gone. Already skin peeling, just like fucking obliterated. So I grab the hotel pan that I'm picking up with the dishes, run to the back, and I'm just holding under cold water. And I'm realizing, okay, well, this is burning on fire unless I have cold water. So I took some ice in a, in a Ziploc bag and had that to my hand, duct taped it. And uh, thankfully that was with my right hand and I'm left-handed. So I continued dishwashing, like holding my hand close to my chest for the rest of the night going like this. <laughs> and hilariously enough, the night before was the Seahawks um, second time to the Super Bowl when we lost. But before we got that touchdown with that fucking back where he caught it at 88 yards, he ran it. He intercepted it and ran the 88 yards and made that touchdown. And I jumped up in the doorway so hard that it cracked my head open and it was bleeding. I was pretty concussed. And I was still the next day, you could see that it was pretty fucked up from the top, but no one was taller than me there except for one of the sous chefs. So as he's walking by, he's just like, dude, go fucking home. Like, I've told you this before, go to the hospital, figure your hand out, this and that. I was like, all right, all right. I still stayed. I was just like, whatever, I don't fucking care. This is my job. I'm doing it. It's whatever. It's my body. And the second time he passes, he looks at the top of my head. He's like, is your head fucking bleeding? I'm like, oh, it's dry blood. I like jump over the door. I can crack. And he literally grabs me takes me out of the kitchen and says, go home or you're fired. 
So I was Ooh. like, and he goes, no, 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 go to the hospital or you're fired. And I was like, well, it's my choice. And he's like, go, dude. So I left and I just went home. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But yeah. So anywho, back to Tavolata. And um, so that was a real experience to learn how to really expo and push your own station. That was pretty much half the food of the restaurant. And that was fun and all. That was an experience. And then after Tavolata, I went to uh, Spinasse and that place was really cool. I wanted to do the pasta there because they have a window with a couple uh like glass windows and that's where they they make the pasta and they hang it out to dry and people can see it because it's somewhat of an open kitchen it is an open kitchen and that was a really cool environment there and it was also really fun because twice a week i would go over to artuzzi and artuzzi's right next to spinasse and you can walk through the two and a lot of people would go so spinasse is more of the fine dining and artuzzi's more of like a bar with good food and it's just a big square bar and then there's like one hotline and it's normally one or two guys depending on the night and it's six convection burners. So, like, they're the electronic ones mm. that you just put on, and there's six of them. And, oh, dude, it sucks so bad, because you hear this, mm, be that high pitch when you put it on high. It's just that high cute, and only you would hear it because you're behind the line. But that was cool, because you would literally be just cooking for, like, you could seat 52 in that little tiny bar, but or maybe 42, it couldn't be that big. Um, but it was just fun to just be able to like have something like that. And I do want to hopefully open a restaurant that has something in that appeal where it's, you know, you got your big bar and craft cocktails that are really fine, but you also just got freaking darn good food coming out. That's like, like one of their specials was like literally, I think it's either Sunday or Monday. You can get two pastas and a bottle of wine for 32 bucks. How do you beat that? Like you, you just don't. You cook at home. Like you cook yeah. <laughs> a bottle of wine that's worth 45 bucks basically. Really? And the pastas themselves should be worth 16 to not even 16, probably like 23 bucks. You know, unless it's gnocchi. Gnocchi shouldn't be priced higher than pasta, in my personal opinion. Um, just for the craft of it. That's for later, Howie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I thought that was cool. And then after that, um, I found myself at uh, Lakosho, which is down in the, uh, in the marketplace, which was actually is owned by Matt's. And Matt had Matt's at the market. And after he sold it, he opened up Lakosho. And uh, that was fun because I did six nights a week there. I did the uh, late night, which was I started show up at seven and stay up probably like two in the morning or something. But six nights a week from those short hours, like that shit, like it fucks with your mind. It's a lot, and like you're you're more there than you're at home, not hours wise, but just day wise. Like it's just you're there, and it took it took about like two months, and I was like, I need five days, and just give me a couple more hours, man. Like <laughs> this is a bit much, but uh, there was cool because. It was literally just me at night, like six nights a week, unless it was a Friday or Saturday and there was like a Seahawks game or like a, um, a soccer game going or like, you know, Sounders or whatever. Because then that like, because since we're open till 1 a.m. for food, all the people from the airport and all the people from the games would walk down through the market. And sometimes we'd have to stop ordering food at 1215 because the restaurant would be filled. And, like, I have never cooked so many burgers in my life in one night until I worked there. But I will say it is the best burger I've ever had in town. And, like, mm -hmm. the late-night food is more chillax, like, definitely. Um, but they do, like, they do do fine dining, for sure, during dinner and everything. But the late-night is it's fun. It's just, like, you've got 12 burners, two ovens, a little bit of a cold line, and you're just fucking going. And that grill fills up, and it's just, the intensity's fun, and, you know, it's it's all you. And if you weren't there, it wouldn't go, and that's a nice feeling. Can we get a ballpark on the most burgers you have cooked in one night? This would be between, like, a two-hour window because we stopped the food ordering at 12 15 because you would not get your burger till 1 or 1 15 that's how long it was so to ballpark i can fit about probably like 25 on the grill 
and that thing would turn like every ah, fuck dude i don't want to say over 300 but probably <laughs> like like let's say 300 in like <laughs> in 2 hours <laughs> that's nuts it wow. was it was cool though yeah, that shit is still the best burger I've ever had. It's simple. It was just with, um, it was cucumber that was, was dill and it was pickled. The, so the cucumbers were sliced and put in a rice vinegar with a little bit of sugar and water. And then, um, but they'd cold chill it. They wouldn't put it in a hot pickle. So they'd cool the pickled liquid first and then have it be cold. And you do, you do that for sure if like, if you have small slices of stuff, because if you put it in a hot pickle, it's going to, it's going to cook, you know, and then it'll become mush. So they do the cold pickle for that. And it was just dill, chili flake and rice vinegar. And then they put on these uh, shallots that they did um, in a red wine, vinegar, uh, in a red wine uh, pickle, and then just a little bit of lettuce, just mixed greens. And they put this uh, clabbering chili aioli on it, and that was it. And it was mm. just, I ate that shit, I shit you not, every night for two months until I was like, I don't think I can eat another burger. <laughs> and then I didn't eat it for one night, and the next night I'm like, I want a burger. <laughs> like, it's... Your body finally said, well, I cannot shit, so I shit you not. Uh, <laughs> don't eat another burger. Well played. Yeah, and then after uh, Lakosha, I went to uh, the rest of that right now, which is a... Beep, beep, we just bleeped that out. Yep. We don't talk about that. It's all formerly known as My Fine Dining Restaurant. My Fine Dining Restaurant. Okay. I well, can't Joe's, call it that. Joey's Fine Dining Restaurant. I won't call it a fine dining restaurant. <laughs> I refuse to. You can call it Joey's Fine Dining Restaurant if you want. With air we'll quotes. call it Joey's <laughs> Restaurant that he works at. <laughs> the rest, would you like me to call it Joey's Fine Dining Restaurant? No, no, it's My Fine Dining Restaurant. Yeah. Oh. Whoever the my is, it can be subjective. But anyway. Anywho. Yeah, so to actually touch back on something you said a little bit earlier, I don't know if you remember this, but you mentioned if I could start a restaurant, it would be something like that. You're talking about the place with the pasta yes, displayed in the uh, windows, 40, 50 seats, whatever. Yeah. So you've, you've already gotten that little bit about it. Can you flesh that out a little bit more, though? What would your dream restaurant look like? So the dream restaurant I have in mind, um, if I get the money to do this, would be it, it would be automatically a two-parter restaurant. So you would walk in and there would be a hostess there at the stand and they'd say, literally they would say this to you, would you like the fine dining or the darn good food? And I know darn good, <laughs> darn good sounds awful and I might change that, but it's literally means like, would you like to spend about a hundred, 125 bucks a person, possibly more, because if you're getting the chef's menu, it will be a set menu. You could do a hundred dollar one. You could do a $200 one. You could do a $300 one. But if you're going to dine and eat just two people, wine and everything, you're going to be spending probably about 200 bucks at that table, maybe a little more. And the darn good food is just like, it's open late till two. The food's going to keep going till four because restaurant people need to have food when you get off. Like all those bartenders that get off at two thirty-three in the morning, where are they going to go to get a good meal? That's like, cheap but just really good so that will be the darn good food and on the other side you'll have that fine dining aspect that where it'll be an open kitchen i'll make sure there is a pasta window so people can see the pasta being made pasta would be cool because i like to think that people love not playing with their food but having that aspect of like doing one or two things like when you go over to a table, if there's something with a consomme, I'm going to have a server come over and pour that consomme over it they're going to drop the plates they're going to have their little you know, let's say a cream pitcher, whatever you want to call it, and pour that consomme over, just that one little thing. Or if it's going down, um, like I hate doing this to servers, but I think it's very cool. Um, also, like at Tavolata, they had a bronzino that they would put out, but they would debone it at the table. They would, we'd, we'd cut the, the strips of the fins, we would cut the head and everything, we'd cook it, and then at the table, they'd present it, and then they'd boom, boom, pull it out, and then open it, take the lemons out that it was grilled inside the belly, fold it back over, and put it back on the table. 
Now, a part of me that like thinks that's cool and everything, it's also like, don't touch my fucking food once it's cooked. I don't like that aspect either. So that could be at the darn good food part of it. Because I still want, yeah. What is a consomme? A consomme? Yes. So a consomme is, it's not, it's more of a clarified uh, beef stock. So stocks are when you have roasted bones and your mirepoix, which is carrot, celery, onion, and you know you simmer that for six to eight hours. I like seven to eight. If it's under that, I don't think the flavor is truly there. So a consomme is when you have your stock. So you have your stock, and then you put on top of it in a um, in a strainer. You have your minced vegetables, your uh, minced heirlooms, and you have egg white shells. And I like the egg white shells because it helps collect lots of different little pieces. And the little pieces are like. Um, just the, the grossness that is left over from the stock that you haven't uh, taken the fat cap off yet or whatever's left in there. So it's truly a clarified stock. And you could do, it's it comes from proteins though. Got it. Does okay. that answer your question? That does indeed. Okay. Thank you. What are the combination of cuisines that we can look forward to? So I would like to do, of course, just straight up, everyone was French, everyone was Italian, that's great. I have heart and soul in those. Uh, they're just wonderful comfort foods. And the French aspect is the, the form of the cooking for sure. And the Italian aspect, I love pasta. It's my, um, when I was younger, I tried to figure out what my ish was. It's like uh, one of my sous chefs was like, my ish is fish. Like, it's just the one thing I know how to do well. And I was like, what would be mine? And I figured out it's pasta. I love just making the dough. Uh, you'll catch me talking to my dough sometimes. <laughs> that just happens. Uh, it's not a joke. It's serious. <laughs> and rolling it out and just feeling it, pressing it, creating it. It's such a... I don't want to say intimate, but it is very, um, the word sensual. would be, um, I, I don't know if it would be sensual because sometimes I beat the shit out of it. I'll punch my dough just to, you know, work it yeah. out. People are into stuff, man. I mean, you can, <laughs> I mean hey. Somebody likes to get slapped around, you got to slap them around. I mean, you little, know, you take a fish choking. by the tail and go, psh, psh, you know, I love doing that Monty Python scene. It makes me very happy to people. Okay, so um, you've got your base. Obviously, the fine dining is pretty set, man. Like, we all understand fine dining is kind of just a take on the classic cuisines. What would the, the good... Well, yeah, so there would be the, the French, there would be the Italian of it, but I also, um, I want Southern American to mm. come out of there. I want some fried okra. I want some good gumbo. I want uh, plantains. I want um, really good... Like, even shrimp. Like, I want that real crawdad fucking um, catfish. Like, I really want to present that stuff to the Northwest because that's something we don't have. And I do believe in fresh produce, but if you find the right purveyors, you can get stuff in 24 hours. If you just pay for it, you can get things in 24 hours after they're being caught. You just got to, you know, like, I believe in flying down somewhere, talking to your purveyors, getting to know them, going out to the farms, getting to know the people that you're going to be buying from. Don't just sign a paycheck and be like, oh, hey, thanks, man, this and that. Like when I was doing the orders at Slurry, I'd talk to every single person that came in. I'd be like, how's your day going? What's going on? What do we have today? What sounds good? What do you have coming up next? So I can tell my chef, you know, like I believe in building rapport with your uh, contracts, you know, with who your, your purveyors. Yeah. And also the other aspect is Vietnamese, hands down. I love, uh, it's amazing. Uh, vermicelli's awesome. Uh, you've got, I mean, I can't sell dog here, but, um, I have had dog before. <laughs> that may be the quote of the podcast so far. I can't Check sell dog here. here. <laughs> well, I would dog like it is. So dog, I would say is, so you know how people say crocodile is like a chewy chicken. No. Sure. <laughs> okay. Yes, right. actually, I've been to the South. I'm cultured. So, yes. I'm from, I'm from the South, that's, and we don't say that. From <laughs> You're from Virginia. That's not the that South. That counts as the South. That's the East the Coast. Bayou. Hey, bayou. Yeah. Do you know if you're cultured or not? No, uh, actually, I don't. Well, have you been to the South? Yes. 
than your culture. <laughs> Man of culture. Mm-hmm. So, uh, would you call yourself cultured if you've been around your own country? Yeah. yeah. No, no. You're cultured when it comes to, like, putting yourself in a different... Like, okay, yes, that counts as being cultured for your own country because we do have a massive country. We do. But when you go other places and you have that culture shock and you actually adapt to it, that's being cultured. you telling me the South is not a culture shock? To the Northwest? Fuck yeah, it is. Exactly. But... I'm just, that's why I said it, it does count as being cultured there, but like when you really, when someone says, hey, are you cultured? Are you really going to say like, yeah, I've traveled around my own country? Is that your response to it? I would pursue this further, but it's probably not going to get A little off topic, too. So, so the Vietnamese part of it, um, I went there for a bit with a buddy that I met uh, randomly at a, my, apart, my old apartment complex, and he has this pho restaurant up in uh, 152nd Aurora. It's called Pho Ha. Definitely check it out. Best oxtail pho I've ever had in my life. It is incredible. Definitely worth the price. It is, I believe, $18 for a bowl, but it's the most delicious. It's to the point of where, like, when I eat pho in other places, I'll do it when I'm going out with people and whatnot, but I just will eat it. And they're like, oh, how is it? And I'm like, do you really want to know? Like, I thought we wanted to go out and eat. I could turn this off, but if you want me to rant about this right now, I will. And then they're like, oh, no, 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 no. So it's literally the best. So that was the reason I was like, I want to go to Vietnam with you while well, I'm actually leaving soon. So I went with him and uh, I, that was a crazy experience. But, uh, you know, that's another enjoyment conversation. So, yeah, it would be uh, French, Italian, Southern cuisine and Vietnamese. And it wouldn't be a true fusion. The only fusion part would be the cooking style of like the foods would be coarse for where they're from, but you know, I everyone puts French cooking into it. Like braising, that's French. Throwing things with the mirepoix on it, that's French. Um, Italian, when you have your sauces, especially marinara, and you contribute that to putting, let's say, uh, let's say you just had fried okra in a marinara sauce. That's an infusion. Like that's the South with Italian. But I really want to bring them back to their home bases. So it wouldn't be like four separate parts on the menu, but there would definitely be sole pieces of true dishes on it. That sounds fucking delectable, dude. Jesus. So, fine dining, French, Vietnamese, Italian, Southern. Yes. The French, well, the Vietnamese already is French-influenced because they were colonized by them. Mm. That's how they have bomb meats. That's how they have bomb meats, the French bread. The French bread. Yes. That is awesome. Yeah. What what other ways are they impacted by French cuisine? Uh, the broth for pho, hands down. Cajun is also French-influenced, right? I am not positive on that. There's a lot of spices in pho that you wouldn't think which should be in it based off of, like, where they come from. But there's a lot of spice influence in the pho broth that comes from French influence, Mm -hmm. I believe. Because there's, like, a a bunch of weird... Not weird, but, like, you would think, oh, that's not... That's not Vietnamese. Vietnamese. Yeah. It's very, like, especially when liquor and liqueur is very Mm -hmm. popular in French. And other European countries too. I'm gonna double down on this. Uh, there is a city in the south called New Orleans, which is New, <laughs> New Orleans. New New Orleans, as from the French city of Orleans. No, you're right. Yeah. Well, we did there's buy it from them. We were gonna purchase French. Uh, yeah. Anyway, thanks, <laughs> <laughs> Napoleon. <laughs> okay, so did we buy it from him. Howie, one thing that you and I have talked about in the past, uh, and this is kind of a ground up type conversation, but in terms of running the restaurant, not just the cuisine you provide, you've once given me a diatribe on why you would pay a dishwasher uh, 18 bucks an hour yes. <laughs> to do the job right. To quote you, you do the job right, you're worth 18 bucks an hour, here's why. Why is that? <laughs> um, one, dishwashers always get paid the least. And dishwashers get yelled at a lot, they get thrown around, they aren't respected. 
And from someone that has started at one, not saying I was disrespected as a dishwasher, but I've been in kitchens and see cooks talk to people the way they do. And it's, it's impolite and honestly fucking inhumane. I really do not tolerate it whatsoever. And that frustrates me. So the reason I really want to pay dishwashers 18 bucks an hour is one, it's intriguing to anyone. And two, I can be picky as fuck. I can be as picky as I want to be and like, look, dude, I'm paying you 18 bucks an hour to do some dishes and prep some stuff. And this means I need you to do it right every time. Can you do that? And I'm paying you this way because I know you can. And I hired you because I know you can. I once heard it put that the dishwasher in some way is the most fundamental the position backbone of the restaurant. in the restaurant. Yes, they are. Because if a customer gets a plate and there's old food on the bottom side of that plate, it doesn't matter about everything else. That's a bad review. That customer yep. gets their whole meal comped. Yeah. End of story. One, once a blare. Well, that was extremely pleasing. One thing I want to touch up on, uh, said that but <laughs> what's the what's the dream aesthetic of your restaurant you gotta go in deeper about that so the word aesthetic means no <laughs> i mean you have you have a fusion of a lot of different cuisines here <clears throat> it's not a big place 40 to 50 seats what's the ambiance is it dimly lit do we have some nice chandeliers in i would have to say not 40 to 50 seats i'd like it to be about 52 and then a 15 top bar. So we're getting up to like, what is that, 67? Or I, think, like 67? I think that's math. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's math, right? 15 and 52. This yeah. is occasionally a math podcast. We do define words. We do simple math. Catch us next week. We'll be doing geometry. We're moving up. More. All right, Euclid. All right. All right. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking I don't want it to be something that is too dark and like smoky and not too romantically cozy with it having a, a hot line and cold line to the back. And as you walk in, that's in the back and you have your tables. And I kind of want it to have a home feel. Like I want there to be wooden tables and um, I don't want white cloth. I want, I think I probably want black cloth because the plates are going to be white and they're also going to have um, like uh, some green and gold rim to them as well. And I want the plate itself to pop underneath, like above the cloth. When you have white cloths, things get stained throughout the night. People do spill wine. It happens. Accidents happen. Not necessarily our team, but more or less the the guests. They have accidents. And throughout your night, it's like you get to look at that stain for the rest of your night. And you're either embarrassing yourself or the person that you're with, you know, where it's like not necessarily saying, oh, you're embarrassing right now. You spilled some wine. It's just it's not nice to look at. And if you reset a table, that takes time. That takes out of the ambiance and just the feel and the magic of going out somewhere and being served. And what I mean by the magic is like before you worked in a restaurant and you sat down and you had that bite of delicious food and it just came out like it just was boom, it's there. You order your entrees, you know, you have your appetizers and just slowly but surely these more plates come out and you and your mind are like, how is this created? How is this possibly so beautiful? And yet when I take a bite of it, my shoulders ease, my eyes close, and I only think I think about is what's in my mouth and the, all the flavors and fusion that's going on. And the stress of your world and life is gone in that one moment. And that is something and the reason why I got into cooking. For sure. Also why you should listen to Shifty's podcast. That's basically the exact same experience as listening to an episode of this show. <laughs> I'm sure you, the listener, understands. Jokes yeah. aside, that was, that was beautiful, man. <laughs> was totally, like, Wow. Jesus, wow, that was, so, really, that was really good. So yeah, yeah. For the plate, it's like, you know, when something's so beautiful on that plate, you want to have something underneath it that complements it as well. You can't just think, okay, food is gorgeous, the plate's gorgeous, we're going to throw in this white cloth when the plate's white. No, that's not 
No, that just doesn't make sense to me. As Bob Ross once said, start at the back, move to the front. So you start at the back, which is the bottom, right? He yes. was. He did say that. Yes. He's like talking about the forehand. You what's start. The, up. What's the context, though? The think, context is that when you start, not you sex. start, not you sex. start <laughs> what's so when you start with something that's far away, and as you get closer, mm. so you start at the back. Basically, move, what's move the first the thing? Yeah, what's the first thing? The cloth. The next thing, you've got the plate, and the next thing, the food. So you need to start at that base. People think the base is the plate. It's not. It's the cloth. Mm. Interesting. I'll be well, looking at tablecloths. What did I fucking tell you guys? It's, <laughs> it's amazing. So okay. another tidbit about the cloth is when, you know how people, they take, if you go to a restaurant that's not truly fine dining, I'm talking truly fine dining, you sit down and you trust that place. When I mean trust, like you know you trust the food, you know what's going on there, you have that feel of like, this has so many recommendations, you know, everyone said this is lovely, this is that. Even if people say that and you walk in and there's something about it that you don't trust, when you take that napkin off of your silverware and put it in your lap and you put that silverware back on the table, how do you know that tablecloth is a new one? How do you know it's been cleaned? How do you know that table's been wiped and sanitized after you've been down? You can't trust the busters every time unless it's a very good restaurant. So all I'm saying is, when you take that napkin away and put it in your lap, have something to put your silverware on. Hmm. Hmm. I've for sure yeah. thought about that before. Yeah, for, oh, of course. Like, pick, you pick the napkin up and you're like, yeah. mm, I don't want to put these back Speaking down. of silverware and, like, sanitation, like, dishwashers, another reason to pay them high is, like, I need to trust you that you're going to wash that shit three times. It's three times. And you shuffle and mix that shit around, and you bring it back around, and you shove it back through again. I want it three times. And if I'm gone and I'm, like, doing my shit, I don't, like, why should I need to worry about the dishwasher? I should, that is the least of my problems. I should not worry about something that is so easy and simple, you know? Right. Like, I'm definitely willing to come back and show you and teach you no matter what. I am down to do this. I will take the time to do it. But if you just don't respect what I'm asking you to do and I'm paying you this amount, get out of my kitchen. I mean, the more you pay somebody, the more they're going to respect the job, too. They shouldn't have that mentality, though, even though I'm obviously putting well, it up like it's that. True, it's, though. it's true, though. Because the more theoretical competition there will be for the job, for yeah. the job candidate pool. Because if so, you're making whatever minimum wage, there are infinity minimum Well, that's wage the jobs. best thing, too. I'm cherry-picking, basically, the best dishwashers that are possibly exactly. around. Yeah. Which is a huge advantage. Yes. All right, I'm going to move this incredible fine dining intellect you have into another conversation now. So we do Yelp reviews on this podcast sometimes. And in Yelp, restaurants are ranked based upon their price point. One out of four dollar signs. So one, two, three, or four dollar signs out of possible four. Specifically, that breaks down to, we can assume, the quality and the preparation of the food is different from a McDonald's to a sit-down bar, to a decent restaurant, to a fine dining place, right? There's delineations, clear delineations between those things. So I want to ask you, what I want to ask you is, what goes into the preparation of the food that makes a high price point? And more specifically, and this is what I would like to ask you first, what is the technique that goes into food preparation and food presentation that makes it worth $20 more than more or less the same dish in another place? So, a, a good example would be you can get chips and salsa, right? You can walk to, into a restaurant and they place down, oh, here's chips and salsa, what would you like to eat or drink? You know, when you sometimes sit down at a restaurant, you can get a scallion-infused chip that is with butter-seared scallops in a butter squash sauce and with a little bit of, like, dill on top, you know? And something like that. It goes, okay, hold on. So I just had chips and salsa at this one place and now you're giving me a scallion-infused chip? What is, like, what is... 
what is going on here. So it goes into just breaking it down from literally um, the best way. All right, sorry, I'm writing here. Um, it's the core. It's the preparation of how many steps it takes to make that one thing. Let's say um, you could take steak, right? You can literally throw it on the grill, flip, 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 serve it, right? Sauce, sides, whatever. Or you can have that steak and you can marinate it. You could throw it in oil, you could throw it in parsley, rosemary, thyme, garlic, shallot. And then even after that, you're seasoning it with different spices, salt, pepper, always salt, always salt. You need to season. Salt is the definition of seasoning. It's a flavor enhancer. If something doesn't have salt, I don't know what you're doing. Like, <laughs> I, I just don't. I don't. I really don't. You're not bringing out the flavor of the protein, which is what you are eating. And even at that point, after you have that steak, you're putting it with a sauce that has broken down from a core of a vegetable or from a green, an herb, or um, even you, you could even do like a, a freaking um, just a reduction. You know, you could do um, like a jus of some sort. And even that already, a jus already has like multiple steps before it. You got to build the stock first, then you got to reduce it down, then you got to season it. So it's basically when it goes from something that's $1 to $4, it's the amount of steps and time it takes to make one component of that dish. You should not personally have over five components on a dish. You just shouldn't. That's way too much going on. You're going to take away from the flavor of the prior about that dish. When you order chicken, you ordered it for the chicken, right? You're not going to have like a bunch of other things on it. You're probably going to have a puree. You're probably going to have some herbs circled on top and maybe some sauteed mushrooms with it. You know, something just simple and little, not just a bunch of stuff going on. Unless it's Thanksgiving and then you can have all the shit that you want. Oh, you got that damn right. That's a smorgasbord. Speaking of Thanksgiving, there is something that I'm dying to create, and it's called the Thanksgiving burrito. Now, <laughs> yes. Hold on. I'm going to stop you right there. <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, you're welcome for being in on the ground floor of the greatest idea that's ever happened. <laughs> Please continue. So We are thanks. all listening rapturedly. The Thanksgiving burrito starts off with a collard green infused tortilla. So instead of just wheat and flour, you've got your nice regular tortilla. That's a soft one. TM, TM, TM. And, <laughs> and you do a collard green infusion. So you've got your green, because there are spinach infused tortillas, right? You get collard greens ones. Then you've got your chicken. You've got your cranberry sauce. You've got your mashed potatoes. You've got your gravy. You've got, what fucking else is there? Like, you've got um, Cran stuffing. Cranberries. The cranberry, cranberry sauce, sauce is already in there. Said that, uh, yeah, so you got your stuffing. stuffing. And you literally just fold that in, your collard greens, and you roll that up, and you just have at it. It's this Thanksgiving burrito. And I can I think, that. my cousin and I have to think of that, because we were so fucking stoned one night, and we were thinking about Thanksgiving. It's like, how could we eat it in one bite that would just be the best? Like, blitz that our mind. Fucking gone. Like, just laying down, fucking eyes just red as the devil's dick, just gone. Can and you imagine a Thanksgiving food truck, and you get Thanksgiving burritos, and just all oh. Thanksgiving bullshit all year long? Yeah, this this conversation makes me sad that Thanksgiving is what two hundred fifty days away. Uh, like no. now I have to wait to try this because I'm you going don't. to try this. We can yeah, make it. I don't want to go buy a whole fucking. You don't have to. This is something Next, I've been wanting okay. to experiment with. You'll come back mm -hmm. on and we'll prepare. We'll do a oh, I'll have the burritos oh, yeah. made and we'll just heat them up in the oven and like take yes. a bite and just fucking be like, what yeah. is this? Yeah. So back on the rails. <laughs> I mean, that was truly an exquisite idea, and so far this has been an exquisite answer. We could change the name of the podcast to Thanksgiving Town and talk about Thanksgiving shit the whole time. That's as far as I go with Thanksgiving, to be honest, John. Okay, fine, yeah, let's get back on the rails. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my beer, no. What said every man. <laughs> oh, no, my beer. <laughs> Effectively, what I'm gathering is that the difference is the components of one small part, i.e. the sauce, 
take yes, it's, disproportionately more time in a fine dining place. So yes, it's, give, it's, me, it's, give me time amounts here. Give me what Olive Garden spends on their pasta sauce versus what my fine dining restaurant I eat or a nice Italian restaurant since your opinions are low. Well, sauces so, are so, different <laughs> from the whole dish itself. Sauces already are a little complex. Not saying they're like super ridiculous. They can be, but they could also just be, you know, grind up some tomatoes, throw it in a pan, that's sauce. You know, it just is. Right. Then you could go, okay, grind up the tomatoes. All right, let's uh, slowly cook it down. And before I throw it and slowly cook it down and then throw some chopped herbs in there or grind the tomatoes and before you put it in, you have your big pan and you've got some oil in there. You're already like caramelizing some shallots and some onions and garlic. And you get your heirlooms going and then you throw the sauce in. And as it's going down, you have chopped up herbs. You throw that in too. And then you have your sauce. Or there's a whole other reel where you could do sticking with the same marinara so it's just a build. So you grind your tomatoes, you have your heirlooms going. On the other hand, you have different seeds or spices you have like some um some caraway some cumin and some fennel seed toasting in a pan you have that ground up throw that in the sauce as well while the um, heirlooms are caramelizing then throw your sauce in and then you can throw even some more herbs on top and it's just it's just how you build your sauce that makes it more complex and which makes it more worth the money so that's just sauce-wise, though. And then there's also comes in the cuts and the plating. And when it comes down to cuts, you could have, I was talking with these earlier, uh, cauliflower. You could just have, you know, just chop it up, chop it up, chop it up. You know, throw it in a pan, season it, whatever, throw it down. Or you can chop it to where they get the nice heads, chop them in half, get that face. And what I mean by face is, like, you got your head of cauliflower, like a little baby one that you've chopped off. You cut it in half, and you can see that there's, like, a nice white bit of root in the head. And you butter sear that and season it right after, and then you place it so that the face that is beautifully buttered here with a little bit of dark brown and light brown to the center is facing you. Now, just the time that you take and the technique that you've put into that is already a cauliflower dish that could be $5, $6, or even $10 more depending on what you're putting into it. And, you know, it's just the simple things that are like, how am I going to cut this? How am I going to prepare it before? That makes it more expensive. That's awesome. God, that was yeah. fucking phenomenal. That's Jesus, like, what an answer. honestly, I don't think I would ever you know, order expensive ass cauliflower, but seriously, like thinking about it that way, that's super cool. I wish I could do that, you know, like make food like that. That's, that's incredible. I do have an all cauliflower dish I've been working on recently. It's actually just a head of cauliflower. It's like, here you go. No, it is, um... So I'm gonna narrate as Howie's doing this. Howie has a bag full of notebooks, and within each notebook like are pages lot. and pages and pages. He just pulled four notebooks out in one hand. Like, He's pulling more notebooks out. He's got now. three more big ones. Three more big notebooks. <laughs> each notebook is filled with pages and pages of original recipes, and these are these are like I'm stranded on an island and I have a journal <laughs> notebooks. I mean, they're leather bound. You know, I don't know where he got these except for some Hogwarts type bookstore. Some moleskin going on there. You got that right? Mm. It's moleskine. Oh, is it? No. It's <laughs> <laughs> so a little hesitant to say this because I don't know who's listening, but... How is it afraid that people are going to steal his recipes? Mm -hmm. Very no close one, to the chest. No one steals recipes. James, James Beard chefs. is out there. Like, James Beard, whoever he is, <laughs> is out there listening right now. Dude, I've had a chef take one of my recipes, and it made me so angry. And Whoa. I can, will not say the chef who it was, but they did take my delicata infused ravioli squash and it pissed me the fuck off Hopefully, it made me uh, so they listen to this podcast and now they know he's too busy we're on to you man <laughs> he's 
He's incredible chef, but come yeah. on to the podcast and we'll have like a Because after style after I left, uh, the line cook was like, "Oh, they came with a delicata squash." I was like, "Was there fried thyme?" He's like, "Yeah." I was like, "Was there charred fennel bulb?" He's like, "Yeah." Like, was there a rabbit consomme? Yeah. Motherfucker! I was just so fucking pissed. That it was my... Ugh, I was pissed about it. I do like the idea of the Mori Povich. <laughs> you are not the creator of this recipe. <laughs> you can... It'll be another time. I'll find it. So... So, talking about the cauliflower, and then wherever you left off with. The word of the week! Alright. Pew, pew, pew. Pew, pew. <laughs> the word of the week... This week is... No, the word of the week is the line. Something that we have mentioned quite a few times on this show. But we, re- we want to get into what it really means. And I think you're probably an expert actually on this. So why don't you give us like... Yeah, we've mentioned a lot this episode. Times. So if you've been really confused the whole time, just being like, but what is the line? You're about to find out. Because the line is... So the line is the operations of where the food comes out and... Uh, it's it's a it's a hierarchy order as well. So you have you have your stations, and you could say you have so there's the hot line and the cold line. And the cold line is what comes desserts come off of. So like you could have anything from panna cottas, like um, your custards and your uh, yogurts and your uh, ice creams and gelatos and your salads. Anything that is prepared and kept cold will come off of there. And that is just, like, there's no flame involved, no heat, and it's just all, it's all fingering and throwing together, and just placement. And then the hotline is when you come to uh, your burners, your ovens, your uh, pans, your grill, your flat tops, your fryers, and uh, your pasta drops. And pasta drops are just a a big boiling water tank with um, some uh, strainers in there that you drop your pasta in. It's pretty self-explanatory. And pull them out, toss them in the pan. And so those are where the cooks are. And then when you turn around, each cook does have a cold line station where you have your cutting board, you have your mise en place, and your mise en place is everything you've prepped for your station. Where whether it's already cold and I need to make it hot, so you turn around and fire it, and firing means you throw it down in the pan, you throw it on the flat top of the grill, or you drop it. If you're wondering, mise en place is like French for all the shit. Yeah, it's it's, it's what you prep. It translates into everything in its place. Yeah. yeah. All, all the shit. Future word of the week. <laughs> we got double word of the week this week. <laughs> Shifty's first. Yeah. So then, um, so then you have your cold line, and that's where you uh, your cold line off of your hot line. So when you've you're done cooking your things, and you turn around, you grab your plates from your oven. That's where you start your plating. Is on your cutting board where all your herbs and your fine little things of making the plating nice. Then there's expo, and expo is normally either in the middle or at the end of the line. And an expo is the person that the tickets will come in that the server's punching at the computer. And the tickets will come in, and he calls out the tickets to you. So he says, like, hey, I need you to fire steak. I need you to fire fish. I need you to drop these pastas. They could be, like, trompetti or capolettis or, um, you know, um, rigatoni or whatever. And Spaghetti. Spaghetti. Yes. Lasagna. Yes. We could do the fucking 1,500 pastas if you want. We could do it. Spaghetti. Pomodoro, mm. lasagna. That's not spaghetti, is it? I just made that up. I mean, Capulini, you can do pomegranate infusion egg dough if you like. Spaghetti. Mm. Pomodoro is, is like the sauce, right? Fettuccine? Yeah, it is. I don't know what pomodoro is. I don't know, is. dude. <laughs> I don't give a shit. I'm just throwing out Italian words. Wait, what do you have against... What's the, the potato one? Gnocchi? Yeah. What, what, why is gnocchi sub, subclass, subpar? No, no, no. It's not earlier. subpar. I just believe that it should be priced less than an egg dough pasta. Interesting. I think it should potato? go... No, it's the craft that goes into it. Hmm. I mean, of course, gnocchi should be priced over a fettuccine or um, a tahrin, for sure. 
because those things are you just you just roll them out on the back side of your pasta roller that's you're not putting anything into that but when you actually do some herb press pasta or you have your agnolotti or agnolotti however you pronounce it or your capital. And your lotti. Yeah, I think that's how you say it, actually. That's actually, we. that wasn't Joey. We just Googled pronunciation and played the first video, and that was it. It's accurate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so when it comes to, like, filling uh, pastas that are when you have your sheets of egg dough, those should be priced over gnocchi because gnocchi is just roasted potatoes, egg and flour, and you just you just roll it out with your hands and then chop it up, and that's it. It's very simple. It's very easy. But it's it so is harder... Good. It is delicious, which yoki can definitely be overworked. And when it's overworked, you can tell. You can tell it's tough, it's harder, it's not this soft pillow, basically, that just goes poof in your mouth, it just melts. That is delightful. So there's a lot of overworked gnocchi out there. And when it comes to extruded dough pasta, that's just semolina flour and water, and it's a machine that does it. So there's no technique in that whatsoever. You could do a spinach infusion one, yeah, there's a little bit, but it's like your machine's doing the work. And so, when it comes to pricing points, I don't have anything against gnocchi. I don't. I really don't. But it should be extruded, gnocchi, egg dough. Or it should be extruded, egg dough, gnocchi, egg dough filled pasta. Or herb pressed. Hmm. So the line yes. is the line where the cook stand <laughs> and the food comes out. Yes, but there are different stations to the line. Like That's I was saying, true. there's the hot it's line, the cold line, saute, grill, and then you have your expo, the person that calls the tickets to you that come out, and then there's the window, and the window is the end of the line, where it gets passed, all the dishes get passed for it, and when the, it goes up in the window, the ticket gets put with the food, and you should have someone expoing on the other side. Someone that calls the tickets that is expo, you're already expo for the cooks. You should be expo for the window as well. So it's nice when your expo station is by the window. It is not at our restaurant. Correct, Amundo. And fun fact, my first restaurant position was Expo. It's <gasps> a lovely position. I love calling to Expo. That's my favorite. I love doing Expo. Not it's, at where we worked. It, it, well, <laughs> and not as your first restaurant job in the high-volume restaurant in the middle of the summer when you've never worked in a restaurant before. But and your you second day, that that your trainer whatsoever. just goes, all right, uh, I'll be right back, and then doesn't come back. Also, it's Saturday night in the middle of June. Anyway, point being, Expos are, are it's a fundamental back-at-house position. And, yeah, uh, but I believe I also, there should it, be one on the front head especially side. Especially in what yeah. we've seen in my slash our fine dining restaurant slash restaurants is that a chef, especially in a nicer establishment, will expo on a busy night and run the kitchen from the service side of the line while directing the servers to run the food, being in total control of the food service element of the restaurant. That's how it should be. being a baller. I <laughs> just... <laughs> No one can be a baller like an executive chef. Except me. Except, right, except yeah. Colcut. Suck it, Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. Cole Come on our show you. and I'll dunk on you. I'm just kidding, I won't. Probably he's, not. He's scary. He's very scary. <laughs> so, with that said, one thing I've always found ironic about the line is that not only is it the literal divide between the front and the back of the house, it's also the figurative divide. No, as... the window is truly the divide. It's when it gets put up in the window, we're done with it. We're done with that dish. Not saying... Oh, there's the food. Go do it. But it truly is. Once that plate goes up, we've done our part. Do your part now, please. Correct. Well, what I'm getting at with this question is give me a uh, nice old, honest, no-holds-barred back-of-house perspective on the bitches in the front of house. Or, no, they're not bitches. Maybe you like them. I don't know, man. Just tell me. Um, That's going to be a long answer, so I'll try and make it as short as possible. Does it include recipes? No. Oh, okay. Then it won't be that long. <laughs> mm, all right. So I believe in there needs to be a front and back house 
rapport, no matter what. I don't care. At the end of the night, we're going to have family meal. We're going to sit down together. We're going to do a thing either at the end of the night or an hour before service. We're going to sit down all together. We're going to eat food. We're going to ask how our days are. We're just going to get to know each other because a team is not good unless you know who is on your team. I don't care if you clock in and clock out and, you know, you do your shit well. That doesn't matter to me. I want you to know who you're working with, not necessarily to their core, but you need to know what not necessarily pisses them. No, actually, yeah, you need to know what pisses them off. You need to know what's right and wrong. But at the same time, it's like you shouldn't need to worry about those things when you all do your job well. And to get back to just how back of house thinks of front house, I can't speak for all I know a lot of them say, oh, you know, they fucking suck. They complain about this and that. All they do is run food. You know, they just take orders. They yell at the busters to do their thing. It's like my restaurant, no busters. You bust your own tables, hands down. You, when you have a table, you're treating them as if they're in your own dining home. You better be the hostess of the fucking mostest. And you set your own tables. That's just how it is. Weird. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, like, tell a hostess to overbook your side. But I'm definitely going to say, hey, you should be able to handle this. Because if I can, you can. That's just how it should go. And if you're not, well, then we'll slowly but surely teach you up. But if you can't get it. Yeah, I have served. Um, And if you can't, you know, do it within a month, then it's like, well, dude, what else can I do? Like, I've shown you the best I can. I've, you know, taken a couple tables a night off you and, you know, given it to another server that can. It's like, so what's going on? And if like before, like I will always sit someone down before I feel like I need to let them go. I hate saying firing. It just doesn't sound nice at all. Fire, like fire, like, like it just sounds awful. Like you're fired, you know, like it's the worst. So before I let someone go or say, Hey, this isn't working out. I'll sit down and be like, is there something going on in your outside life? What's happening? Or are you just fucking off and not putting your hundred percent into something that I'm paying you to do? So it really just pours down to if you're a fucking shitty server and you just don't care. Yeah. You're, you fucking suck. And it's just, it's stupid when I put shit in the window and it fucking dies in the window when it's like, dude, what is going on? You're fucking running back and forth. You're doing the fucking like pause, 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 look around when it's like, Hey, food's in the window. That's number one. I don't care if you're putting an order in before you come around the corner. I don't care. You just came from a table. You're about to put an order in. And if you see food in the window, I don't care if you don't even think it's yours. Go up real quick and be like, is any of my food in the window? I will tell you if it is. And then go run that, come back and put it in. Food goes up in the window. If it's in there, if it's pasta, and if it's up there for over a minute, I have to refire it. I don't care if you're pissed. They're like, oh, my table's going to be upset. Like, they're getting it later. I'm like, you weren't here. Or I'm going to ask another server to run the food. And I don't like putting a new face to a table. I don't like doing that. It's unprofessional. It's weird. Um... And I think when you have that table, it's the home vibe, hands down. So when it comes down to servers being bitches, as you say, or whatever, just little fuckheads, whatever, like it's, it's, it's about yeah, them. fuck servers. It's not yeah, just yeah. servers in general. I just feel like they also feel like they are entitled. And sorry for any servers that are listening, like, we're not fucking entitled. Like, no, if you do your job well, fuck yeah, you're not entitled. No one is entitled in the kitchen. No one should be. If you do your job right, you do your job right. If you do it wrong, people are going to notice. And it's just like, it's just shitty and it sucks because I'm not saying like when we put up food late, yeah, we're busy, this and that. Don't be a fucking asshole. I understand you're busy, but food comes first. The guests come first. We're wrong or am I right? You know, and it's, it's the like, one thing in the restaurant that is hot and will get colder once it is made, which yeah. is why it is the number one priority. And the reason people are coming in are for the food. So don't fucking give me this. Oh, we get hundred percent tips because my restaurant, you fucking don't. You're getting 60, 40. You get 60, we get 40. And it's because, yes, you are the people that do the conversation. Yes, you are the people that, you know, 
they're the face. You are the face. But people come in to eat because they hear the food is good. Oh, I hear the service is great. Let's go there. No, you go in because you're like, hey, the food is delicious. Go eat that shit. So that's how it should be. I'm not saying that, you know, you're not going to get your fucking tips, but I am definitely not going to pay minimum wage. I think servers should start at $20 an hour personally. You know, they should make their money too, and tips should be spread pretty much evenly. But that extra 10% is so that you feel you're not getting cheated. But at the end of the day, servers always feel like they're getting cheated when they're not getting paid high wage. But, you know, I'll pay them high wage. I think that's really interesting that you say servers, the back of the house, should get 40% of tips. My first thought of that was like, well, then I'll make no money. But then you also said, but servers also should be paid $20 an hour. I think that's really interesting. And so should Because it takes off so much of that pressure of... Yeah. Oh my god, I've been here for an hour. I haven't had a table. I folded a lot of napkins. Like, that's No, and if it's server. slow, I'm sending you home if you're a server. Like, if it's slow, I am not paying you 20 bucks an hour to fuck fold napkins for one hour. Like, I'm going to be like, if it's slow and the books say this, go home. Whoever's the least seniority there, go home. And if they uh, say, they can say, like, hey, I really did the money, this and that, then I'll ask the next person, the next person. Like, that's just how that works. So the 60-40 thing, actually, a lot of restaurants do that now, but yeah. they do it with a 20% automatic gratuity. So they divide the, the wages, the money taken from the gratuity, and they give to the back of the house to bring their wages to about 18, mm-hmm. and then the rest goes up to the front to make their wages about 20, 25, 30. Because it's technically nice. illegal to require people to split tips in the state of Washington, right? Something like that, yeah. But they take they, they take that and then use that for the for the living wage. The, the place that I work at currently does that, so that everyone nice. gets a living wage front and back of house. Good. That's um, awesome. But it has to like that's one of the ways to do it with the automatic gratuity. Um, it's interesting to look at it with if you still have tips in place. I don't know if it would work that way. You might you would maybe have to do a twenty percent auto grat for it to happen. I'm but still that, not, I don't I don't know tax code or laws or so anything. That, like that that is one way that you can theoretically make everybody happy in a restaurant. But now I don't want to. We ask want the you. feed the service thing. That's what we're that's what we're here yeah. for. Oh man, oh, I had this whole thing. Okay, whatever. Yeah. So <laughs> listeners, Howie has a feed the service rant. We've been sitting on this one for uh, as long as I've known Howie. Why do you feed the servers as a chef, Howie, or as a cook? So if there is no family meal in a restaurant, which I don't get, if there is, it saves money, it saves time, everyone gets to know each other better. It's just it's just all better. If if it's not, it's it's ridiculous. I think there's no downside to it. And I believe in feeding servers because happy servers are happy guests. And happy guests are happy chef, happy chef, or happy cooks. Literally, everyone's happy. Because no one's yelling at each other, no one's getting upset. When servers get grouchy and they're angry and they're running around, because us cooks, like, we taste all night. We taste our food, we taste our food. We have something in our stomachs, you know. You guys, when you clock in, like, you're going and going and going. You don't have time to go you know, eat or whatever, like to actually sit down and have something or tasting as much as we do. So that's why I believe like putting food in the back for servers, you know, by the dish pit area or something. Cause like when you're ha- when you're full, you're happy. You have food in your stomach, you have that energy, you're good to go. And when you're better presented, you're better presented at the table. The table experience is better. And that table experience is better. The chef is happy because when the chef hears about it, he's happy. When the chef's happy, the cooks are happy. So it's literally a full circle. And plus when the cooks are happy, the dishwasher's happy because the cooks are throwing food for the dishwasher in the back being like, hey man, I need this. Here's a little bit of steak. You know, just like whatever. And it just, it's a full circle. I'm not saying servers come fucking first, but they are the face of the restaurant. Well, you're, you're, you're pointing out the one thing that is the downside doing that, which is that you're serving, ideally, delicious food all night 
that you have to look at and can't touch and can't have anything during mealtime. Fill you're, yourself. And if you to eat food before you come to work, if you're responsible, you eat before you come to work. But servers, but we're servers, so we're not we are responsible. not responsible. Right. That's clearly. why family meals in place. There's right. also, that's why. There's, yeah, there's, there's also four, like eight-hour shifts too. Like you, you know, if you come in, even if you do eat before an eight-hour shift, you're gonna be fucking hungry halfway through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why you start your shift two o'clock. Well, the GM will come in, and then other servers come in around like three thirty-four, and right at four. Between 4 and 4.15 should be family meal. And you do that till about, you know, eat for about 30 minutes, let's say. It's a nice little break. Yeah, when you clock in at 3.30, boom, you know, like, in the next, like, hour or less, you're going to have your, you know, your meal. And that is a good start off. And at the end of the night, if someone is still hungry, dyingly hungry, it's like, it's the end of the night. It's your time now. Go pay for your own food. But I had a chef once be like, and I was like, oh, man, I'm super hungry. So he's like, are you like? Dyingly hungry, and I was like, I, obviously I wasn't, but I was just like, I'm really hungry, man. And he, you know, he shoved me a plate. I was like, here you go, man. You know, and I, I believe in doing that too. Like, if you're like super hungry and something's going on or whatever in your fucking life that food's gonna make it better, that's why I want to become a chef is to feed people, and make them happy. So it's like, yeah, food is very important. That All of my best that, right? memories, like literally every single best memory of working at Local Three Sixty, was like dope family meals when they would make super cool stuff and. Tell me all tell me everything about it. There was this one guy, Zach, who worked there. Awesome, crazy, ridiculous dude. We'll be on the podcast. We'll be on the podcast. <laughs> I remember just going back when I didn't have anything to do. He'd be working on family meal, like, what you doing? Like, what's going in this? What's that thing? He would tell like he of course he loved to tell me all that stuff. Yeah. That's the best. Family meal's the best. Mm-hmm. And you're I right, agree. it brings the restaurant together. That's one of the downsides of not having it at my fine dining restaurant is there's no, like, unified station. There's no place where it's like, oh, hey, you got a minute? You want to go grab a family meal in the back for a second? And then it's like it's like the watering hole of the restaurant. Yep. When you pop up there, it's like you're the lion. Oh, shit, there's the zebra and there's the giraffe. It's literally called and, like, you, family like, make, meal. Right. <laughs> you will, by, var- by virtue of what's happening, sharing a meal together, make friends and develop relationships with the people around that yeah. watering hole. And that is vital because speaking of local and we do reference restaurants that we used to work at and don't currently now by name is that that whole ecosystem thrived because everybody knew everybody and everybody supported everybody because we were all more or less acquaintances yeah it was huge huge to the success of that restaurant yeah no at the end of the night sorry we'd all sit down at the table everyone would sit down and just eat and just talk about the day and everything it was great the team man yeah. oh, right. so, I think like the, the rails, they're like the <laughs> the rails are getting all bumpy in front of us. I think I think it's time to take it off menu. <laughs> <laughs> Did the microphone pick that up? Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at it. I think it picked it up. <laughs> yeah, it was, we're, we're good. So Star Wars, <laughs> everybody's seen it. Everybody loves it. Not true. Not everyone's seen it. And not yeah, everybody I loves know. it. I know. Okay, I mean, you got Star Wars <laughs> for real though. If you haven't seen Star Wars. How did you not see? Like, how did you get this far and not see Star Wars? How do you listen to a podcast and you've not seen? Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. Everybody who listens to a podcast, I feel like, has had like not true. My buddy Recio listens to podcasts all the time. Not seen a lick of it. Not any episode. Not any. What you doing, Recio? Are you, you not serious? He's in Australia right now, deep sea diving and teaching people how to do it. He learned it in Vietnam, then went to oh, okay. Australia so and he, he teaches people how to he deep lives sea dive. Wow, you know what? We're off the off menu. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to rein it back in. So we've all seen Star Wars. We all love Star Wars. We're obviously all nerds. But we're not going to go into what's the best movie. We all know. But what we're going to talk about is, where did you watch Star Wars for the first time? How did you watch Star Wars? How were you introduced 
to Star Wars for the first time. Because I think that's really interesting. I think we all separately, along with everyone in America, had some original experience with Star Wars. Whether you're however many years old and you went every weekend as a kid to see it in theaters or, you know, your parents showed it to you. Anyway. Let's go first. I'll go first. Uh, my grandparents had it on VHS at their house. And so when I would just go... You know, when it was my time to go to that set of grandparents' house. You think it's like had some, it's I my just, time? I had something to do. <laughs> yeah. Or I, I was looking for something to do, you know, I had the whole day. And then it's I like, oh, I didn't know Star Wars is cool. And I just watched those. And I ended up watching those cassettes a bunch of times. Yeah. I would remember my parents would come to pick me up. And I'd say, like, no, hold on. You can't <laughs> leave yet. Like, Star Wars is almost over. I have to watch the ending of it. Um, and I'd talk about it with my parents and stuff because they were huge nerds, too. Oh, and, yeah. Um. That was the biggest thing for me is that was one of the first things that my parents like act like intentionally shared with me. Mm. You know, they showed me Frosty the Snowman and shit when I was a kid. But oh, yeah. that was one All of the, the first time. th- times like they went and got the tapes. They're like, we're watching Star Wars. <laughs> they, like, built it up, like told me about it, told me about watching it. Yeah, like that's why it was so great. Mine also comes from my grandparents. It was September 11th, <laughs> 2001. <laughs> Um, my sister, my youngest sister, was being born, and we needed something to, to Wait, kill. Your youngest Wait, sister's what? birthday is September 11th, September 2001. 2001. <laughs> what? Oh, my God. Yeah. How old? You were six? Yeah. yeah. And, oh, my God. Uh, we needed something to kill nine hours of time with, right? Or roughly, because my mom's in labor at the hospital. So my grandparents whip out the tapes and lock us in for three hours of Star Wars. We watched them all back-to-back Oof. while my mom was delivering... My uh, my little sister Hannah, grandparents yeah. of the shit. Yeah, grandparents. I think like yeah, showed me Star Wars. That is crazy. They didn't show you the news <laughs> earlier. I Did you have any day. conception of what was happening? Not really. I was six. Yeah. I mean, like I remember being taken out of school, and they're like, "Bad stuff is happening." And, like we went home. That is hmm. a great story. Dude, I was I was at home and I was watching it on the TV, and my mom was home, and she was like just gasping looking at it and I thought it was just a show and I didn't realize it was live like and then the second plane hit so we're talking about no, the, Star, the Star Wars is the Ewoks Star Wars is the Ewoks she was talking about the Ewoks well you said you got pulled out of school so I'm like you said bad shit was happening so I thought we were taping off of that no back to Star Wars okay back to Star Wars <laughs> how were you ushered in I was at home I came home from school to my dad's house one day and he was cooking food as he always is and he goes, hey, tonight I got something special for you. I was like, oh, what are we eating? He's like, no, 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 no. It's time. Like, it's time? He's like, it's Star Wars time. I was like, what? Like, he'd been leading this on for a long time. I love and it. not letting me watch it. And he's been talking about it and, like, just telling you about this galactic war and Jedi and all these sabers that were just, like, could melt people. And sabers s- of light? <laughs> <laughs> just these ships that would just battle and... And this little green man that was so wise, I'm like, what the fuck? So we put it in, and it was, you know, the fourth one, the New Hope. And I just remember just being the in first one. awe the whole time. It is the first one. Um, just being in awe the whole time. It just, like, just enveloped by it that we just watched the rest of the two after it, back to back. Man, takes me back. Yeah. It was good. Holy cow. Our grandparents have it on VHS up at the cabin. That's just so fun. I think one of the reasons it has translated so well to future generations is because everybody I know who's our age and watches Star Wars has that same kind of generational connection where, 
oh, my parents showed me, or this person showed me, and, like, they built it up, and, like, they handed it down. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like, ceremonial. Mm. Unlike any other movie that I know of. So, to tie the Star Wars into the food... Yeah? Um, yes. Uh, I got to high-five the actual Han Solo and Carbonite. No lie. Oh, yes. This is, this is <laughs> so, uh, my buddy Aaron and I... Uh, his name's Aaron DeColby. He does Sorrel Dinners. I uh, got Best Pop-Up in Seattle recently. He's in the Seattle Cookbooks. Uh, one of his largest uh, investors, possible investors, uh, when we were going to do the restaurant, but now he's not, sadly. Still a great chef. Still does pop-ups. It's fucking phenomenal. I was having a hell of a week, and I won't go into it, but it was just a bad week. And he's like, hey, I got something good. Come to this event with me. It's just private. Six people. going to go in. I was like, all right, cool. So we go into this house, and he goes, oh, by the way, don't gawk at everything. I'm like, what do you mean gawk? He's like, these people have the second largest Star Wars memorabilia in the world. I was like, what? He's like, get it all out right now. Get it all out of the car. <laughs> How am I not like, going to gawk? I was like, okay. We open the door. The first thing, the first thing I see is actual Yoda, the mold of Yoda, all the C-3PO's, all the R2-D2's from the movies. And then you look straight forward after you open the door and you look over there to the right. And then you come over and you see a Death Star blaster door and you're like okay <laughs> what the fuck's behind there and as you're walking through you just see all the posters different gadgets uh you know little uh, they have the falcon that they use they have the death star they have like all this original crap that they use in four five and six and even of all the other things in one two and three and we're cooking for them and it's just six of a private party and you know, have all these fine ports and everything and wines and just it was delightful and then as we're leaving, I go, can I see what's behind the blaster door? And they're like, oh, for sure. Thing shoots up. And I'm like, oh, so good. Their home theater is made of the actual Death Star parts. You take one step in and you stop because you know what you just saw. And you look to your left and there is Han Solo frozen in carbonite. And you're looking at it. And without thought, you high five it. Not with the owners. <laughs> without thought, you're like, high five him. And he's just like, don't do that again. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I just, my bucket list is complete. I can die now. <laughs> he told you not to do it again? Yeah, he's like, don't ever do that again. I'm, like, I'm sorry, but I, just, I had high five Han Solo and Carbonate. I had you to. got a high it five the, Han Solo. It was the model. No, it was the piece they use in the movies. In Return of the Jedi, the one. And in the fifth one, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome as fuck. Uh, wow. Yo, like, George Lucas himself gifted them the Yoda mold and said, hey, I know you took care of this. So they're building, I think it's done now, they're building a museum for all their stuff. Uh, they live actually just out in Redmond, and they're building, like, a museum for all their stuff. Because they're, they're um, what's it called? And it's your, your, ass, your assets. They're their assets, you know? Shifty's yeah, so a was... home invasion podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they call it the Lucas Ranch. <laughs> they're like, it's the Lucas Ranch. Damn. Like, it's not the Lucas Ranch, but all right, you can name it that. <laughs> on the tales of that amazing story. I don't know how we're going to top it, though. Yeah, that's a tough one. We can start with inviting someone over to your home, which is where that story started. When you're inviting someone over to your home, specifically someone you're trying to, I don't want to use the word seduce. Woo. Woo. Yeah, woo. Okay, woo is a much better <laughs> woo word. Woo them. Woo them, sure. Sensually. Sensually woo. I'm bringing it back. I'm bringing it back. Bringing it back. Sensually woo them. Um, yeah, so you've got a, whatever date it would be. I would, you know, it could be anywhere from first to third. Right? So there could be different pressure depending on which date it is. Oh, of course. But you still want to cook a meal with them. Yeah. Because cooking is almost like dancing with someone. It can show how the relationship's going to play out. Like, how do you fit together? 
like working together essentially also to not create be a dick in the new. kitchen and tell them what to do all the time yeah definitely like it's, be open yeah mistakes happen it shows calm. a lot it yeah shows no, a lot. it does definitely but beyond that what is a, a meal that you would recommend what should you make on this first date what's a fun uh, or second third whatever date i personally think even if it's a first date um i don't know how you're gonna get them to the house that's weird <laughs> <laughs> but you know i've seen different maybe you're things. hella broke yeah, but not a lot of people, it's like, hey, you want to go to my house and cook some food? It's like, that's a rough one to do. Granted, I did do that, and I did date someone for two years off of that, and it worked, so I'm going to say You can also be like, it's <laughs> I'm a chef, and then they'll go, oh, okay. Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> if you have to explain it, it is weird. Just even just, all right, wait, anywho. Um, so I would say making pasta, hands down. Just, mm. it's fun, it's simple, it's easy. You can get a pasta roller at, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond for 20 bucks. You can find one at Goodwill, really cheap. And I think it's fun because you're just taking, like, you're using your hands. You're working together, as you said. You know, you're working together in the kitchen. And it's just oat yolk and flour. That's it. It is. And you get the right, you know, combination. You can look up online, you know, for the the size uh, or the weights and ounces that it takes to create it. And you just mix that. And as, you know, you're kneading the dough together, it's fun. You can have conversation. You can blast music. <laughs> and as that's working, you know, you get your sauce going, just simple stuff. Like, you know, throw your shallots and onions in there. Throw some, just a red sauce tomatoes. And then just chop some herbs and cook some pork in a pan and just throw it in all together. And it's delicious. And the best part is, like, you created it together. And the cool part of it is, is like you said, how you work together and... Even if it doesn't taste good, you made it together, and that's the beginning of something great, is creating something together and growing together. Could yeah. you perhaps leave us with a pasta recipe that would be good to cook with? Yes. That no one will steal? Looking at you, listeners. <laughs> no, we want them to steal it. We want them to steal it only to make with their significant others. Otherwise, TM, 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 TM. If you just take um, flour and yolk, and please use double O flour, please... If you can find it, just please. go. Just please. You can use all purpose. You can. You can. For the love of Bourdain. God. I don't know. <laughs> that was good, Wallace. That was good. Gluten content. Save it at all podcast. So just get, all right, just get some flour and egg yolks and mash those together. And once you find yourself feeling like a nice, not too hard, but not too loose dough, you wrap that up in saran wrap and you let it rest for about 45 minutes. And as that's resting... You can get one of your pans going for just, you know, just get some, you know, ground beef or whatever from your Safeway or QFC or whatever grocery store you have. And, you know, get that in the pan with a little bit of butter and some um, some fennel seed, let's say, and just, you know, season it with salt and lemon, have that going. And then also you get your other, get a pot going and get some shallot, garlic, onion in there and caramelize that. And definitely throw a lot of onions in there to caramelize it down because the sweetness of onions makes ragus delicious. That is a very secret thing is getting caramelized onions in your ragu. It just brings a nice flavor to it. And so then... Salt on that bad boy too, right? Oh, definitely. Season everything. Mm-hmm. Everything needs to be seasoned. But do not over-fucking season because if you do, going to come out salty. As you have, you know, your egg dough's resting, got your pork going. Pork will be cooked. Or beef, sorry, I was saying. Either or, it doesn't matter. Uh, as that's cooking down, then you have your sauce with your caramelized onions, throw your red sauce in there, just heat it up, chop some rosemary, throw that in there, and it's pretty simple like that. Then you put your sauce and your meat together, combine it, and then there's your sauce with your, you know, your ragu, it would be called now. And then you have your egg dough and just roll it out from, a, you need to cut it up into pieces about probably... I don't know, just quarter it, and then kind of smash it down with your hands and your fists, and then roll it out through your pasta roller till it hits about 
either a five or six on your pasta roller. And after that, you can put it in through your fettuccine side of the pasta roller. It will already be the, one of the attachments. It just comes with it. Roll that out. There's your fettuccine. Throw it in the pasta water. And pasta water, meaning you got some boiling water with a little bit of salt in there. Don't make it as salty as the sea, like blanching water, but just like enough to where like it's seasoned. And you can find that fine line. You will. When it becomes salty as the sea, you've gone too far. Um, so you throw the pasta noodles in there for about, since it's freshly done, just like barely like three minutes, maybe two even. Super quick, super fresh. Uh, have your pan going, get your sauce in your pan, your ragu, throw your noodles in there, toss, toss, toss. Throw it in a bowl, put some fresh herbs on there. It could be parsley, tarragon, hyssop, whatever you'd like, and just some grated parmesan, and boom, there's your pasta. Do it. You heard it here first, or maybe second. Super traditional. Very easy. Still didn't know that, so I learned something today. <laughs> I'm going to make that. And so are you after you finish listening to this episode. Thank you for listening to Shifties. My name's Cold Cut. My name's Joey. I'm Wallace. And, and our special Howard. guest, Howard. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, Howard. You? <laughs> That's it. There it has it been our privilege to serve you. That's a nice touch. I like that.